0: like, but uh, it's always good when we can be here. Thank God this morning we, uh, you know, the parkway was open both ways, so our trip was a lot smoother. Um, th- this morning, if you see me uh, having issues with my eye, I got a dry contact, and um, it's causing <laughs> me issues. So if you just see me pinch my eyeball and sling something, that's what's up. So, um, yeah, or, or if you think I'm winking at you, I'm not. Uh, that's a really good. Really good. So that's something I should really say beforehand. Um, let's get started this morning. We're going to go and get into our, our teaching. Uh, let's go to First John chapter five, verse three. And you know, th- this morning, what I'm going to minister to you has been burning on my heart, and it's been the um, you know the major point of all my study. Uh, really since 2015 and uh, so five years now and if you if you pay attention to our Wednesday night Bible study I've covered this um, some you know not not as much as we're going to uh, this morning but so this won't be a surprise to you if you if you pay attention to the Wednesday night Bible study but if you don't Some things I'm going to say this morning, I think especially for our online audience, more than those that are here, uh, some things that I'm going to say this morning may rock you and and make you think, wait wait a minute, don't that go against what we've taught here. Um, But just hang on and give me time, and as the message goes, I think um, it will really make sense. Because here's the thing, guys, what what I'm going to talk about when, when it comes to grace faith, um, even when we talk about end time stuff, when you talk about the commandments, of the law, people, it's just like human nature that we feel the need to get into an extreme and, like, pick a side. And I've always said that we're always in this process of found, finding balance. Um, none of us are as balanced as we need to be just yet. You know, and I have people that say to me all the time, you're balanced, you know, and what they don't realize is I'm always Trying to find that balance. Um, you know, you'll, I go through seasons where God really deals with me on His grace, and then I go through seasons where God really deals with me on obedience and, and faith and, and things of that nature. So this morning, you know, I think the Lord really led Brian to pray that prayer the way he prayed right before we transitioned or as we transitioned, because the cry of our nation right now is for justice. It's for justice, and the, as as I watch the news, I try not to make too much of a habit of that. But as I, as I as I watch the news, as I see people on social media, my heart cries out that we as the church are supposed to have the answers, right? We're, we have the answers, but because. Some of us in our revelation of grace, some of us in our legalism, some of us in you know whatever extreme we fall on, we don't realize we have the answer, or we miss, or, or we kind of twist the answer, and it's not satisfied those out in the world yet. But the truth is, God has set up a system of justice in His Word, and this morning, what we're going to talk about, it is the answer. For the world, especially for our nation and our, our nation is, is crying out for justice, and we have that. So let's look at first John chapter five verse three and like I said, at first I may say some things that throw you off, but just just give me time. I'm really excited about this message. Um, like I said, this has been on my heart as, as you know in pastoral preaching, you know there's times that you preach things that you know that the church just needs to hear. And then there are things that you master, things that are just burning in your heart. And this is one of those things that for five years now I've been hesitant to put out there because, you know, I just try to be sensitive to people and where they are in their walk with God. But I believe because of, one, our church has, we're at this place of maturity, we've got this strong foundation, I think we can handle it. And two, because, like I said, our nation needs this. Okay, and so if the nation needs it, the church needs to be the ones to dispense it, right? All right. So, so First John chapter five verse three, John said, "For this is the love of God, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments." Now, he's not saying that uh, when when you keep the commandments, let me let me read on. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. And his, This is the whole reason we came here, because we're going to come back to this later, but let me just make this point first. And His commandments are not burdensome. Now, if you ask most Christians, I would dare say, if they had never read this verse, are His commandments burdensome? The answer for many would be yes. If you ask many of us with this wonderful revelation of grace, are the commandments burdensome? the answer would be yes. And we may give the answer that, hey, nobody could keep them, and that's why God gave them, was to show us that we couldn't keep them. Well, there's a problem with that in that God gave Israel the commandments 2,000 years into history, and it was 2,000 years later after that that the Messiah would arrive. So did God give these people something that would just make them feel awful and condemn them for 2,000 years, okay? Now, there is a purpose to the commandments in pointing us to a Savior, but there's something, something else here. So here's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we arrive at this place that John did, where he could say his commandments are not burdensome? Because the commandments can be taught in a burdensome way. They can burden us if if we're if we're reading them the wrong way. This word burdensome in the Greek, listen to this. It means to be oppressive, to be severe, to be violent, to be cruel, and to be unsparing. Now, here's how I know that when it says commandments here, it's talking about see, how many knows God does not change. Right? And if God doesn't change, his standard doesn't change, his morals don't change, his ethics don't change. None of these things change about God. And we're going to talk in a minute. The covenant has changed, but God's ethics, his morals, his standards, that has never changed. And John had just made the point that whoever transgresses against the law, that's sin. So sin has never changed the definition of sin has never changed. What has changed is the covenant that tells us what God does in response to that sin or that breaking of the commandment. So these are the same commandments that God has always had. All right, And we're going to get to that in a minute, a little bit more. But many people would describe the commandments of the Old Testament as burdensome, oppressive, severe, violent, cruel, and unsparing. And the Apostle John reached a place in his life where he said, the commandments aren't cruel, the commandments aren't severe, the commandments aren't violent. We need to get to that place where John was. And we're going to get there this morning. So let's look at something. I want to bring this up. So I'm going to be talking about the law, and I'm going to kind of use the law and commandments interchangeably like like they did in the New Testament. Here's what you have to understand about the law. And remember, we, we teach a lot here that you have to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. You know, we, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about how, you know, when you read a scripture, you have to ask, is this Old Covenant, New Covenant? When you read a scripture, is this referring to my spirit, my soul, or my body? Is this referring to the Holy Spirit or my born-again spirit? The unregenerate spirit or the regenerate spirit? And we could go on and on. Well, one thing you have to do is when you read that word, the law, don't just think about the thing that condemns you, okay? There are two components that make the law. One is the commandments. The commandments are, of course, that which God says to do and God says not to do. What God says is right and what is wrong. Okay, that is one part of the law. And there's kind of this misunderstanding that's been preached in grace, and I preached it for years, but there's this, you know, there's this view that, how, how many knows, well, when we're trying to draw people out of legalism, we'll make the point okay, you are about the Ten Commandments, but actually there's 613 Commandments, and you can't keep 613 Commandments. There's truth to that, but it's also sort of false. There really are only Ten Commandments in the Old Covenant or under, in the Old Testament. And the other 603 Commandments are just commentary on how to walk out those commandments in community, how to live out those commandments um, to one another. That's really what all, that's 603 commandments are just commentary, right? But those 10 commandments are, those are the essence of the law. And that's really what, and how how do I know that? Because when you you read, if you take time in, in the Old Testament, especially in the first five books of Moses, you will find that time and time again, he talks about the 10 words, all right, and he, 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 he's saying that the essence of the law is found in these ten words, these ten commandments. This is the essence of the law. So, um, another misunderstanding is that the ten commandments are only for the Jews. Okay, and right now, the stuff I'm saying, like, this is hard because it sounds like everything you guys have taught against. We're, 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 we're getting somewhere with this, and this is going to perfectly line up. Because what God wants us to do is, I mean, I think I have personally ran into people who they, they get a hold of the New Covenant message, they get a hold of grace, and they just don't see any relevance of the Old Testament. None. But how many knows when Paul, Paul didn't have the New Testament. He read the Old Testament. And when he read the Old Testament, he's seen grace. He's seen the New Covenant. He's seen faith. He's seen the love of God. He didn't, so so maybe maybe our lens needs to change. The problem isn't with the Old Testament. The problem is with how we read it. But so another misunderstanding is that the Ten Commandments are just for the Jews. Here's the problem with that. Paul taught the opposite. The Apostle Paul taught the opposite. Listen to this, Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. I think they're going to put it up on the screen in the New King James. I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. Even people who have never heard the Ten Commandments, if they're married, and they're they're going around on their spouse, their conscience tells them you shouldn't be doing this. If they're stealing from people, never having heard the Ten Commandments, something tells them you shouldn't steal. Right? it's, It's written on the conscience of every person, Jew or Gentile, and that's what Paul taught here. That's how Paul could say, listen, my summary is, Jew, Gentile, you're all sinners. Because you all know what is right and what is wrong. One group had it written on stone by the finger of God. One group had it written on, on their conscience and on their thoughts by God. Right? He says it, it, it doesn't matter. You all know this truth. Therefore, you can all be, we can conclude that you're all under sin. Therefore, we can conclude you all need a Savior. Therefore, we can conclude that Jesus is the answer for us all. Right? So, there, there's, so, so, but listen, what law was Paul referring to here? Was he referring to not eating shrimp, not eating bacon? No. When you eat a piece of bacon, nothing tells you this is wrong unless you've got bad health. Something like. You probably shouldn't be doing this. You're going to clog the arteries up, right? But that, that's not what he's talking about. See, there was a Jewish tradition, and you can't find this in the Bible, it's just Jewish tradition, that on Mount Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, that when he spoke those words, that those words went down the mountain into the hearts of the Jews and throughout the whole world and penetrated the heart of every man. And that's the moment every man had written on his conscience these Ten Commandments. Now, is that true? I don't know. But it, it's, it's just interesting, and it helps us give a little understanding to what Paul would have believed here. Okay? So, the first component of the law is the commandment. Now, here is where things kind of start to make sense from what we already know to be true about grace and new covenant. The second component of the law is the covenant. The covenant uh, is the blessings and the cursings that one will receive for whether or not they obey or disobey, disobey those commandments. Okay? So there's the commandments, and then there's the covenant that says what happens to you based on how you keep those commandments. All right? So, the essence of the old covenant is found in Deuteronomy 28, right? Verses 1 through 15, talk about, hey, if you will keep all these things, then you're going to get this blessing, that blessing, on and on. Then verses 16 through like 68, I think there's verses in that chapter, those contain the curses of the law for not keeping the commandments. So, here is a, so listen, here's what I'm saying. The old covenant done away, right? The, 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 the commandments never change. All right? So what happens when one breaks a commandment changed. All right? But the, commandment themselves, the commandments themselves have never changed. So here's a big point. And let me make this point. This is important. There is not one New Testament scripture that is negative towards the commandments. Not one. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Listen to this. This is Paul speaking. Therefore, the law is holy. So now he's referring to the law as a whole. Why is the law holy? Because God gave it. But then listen to this. And the commandment holy. He's separating the law from the commandment. Can you see that? He's saying, hey, the law is holy. The commandment's holy. He's separating them here. And the commandment is holy and just and good. So right here is the Apostle Paul. And you can't find one scripture in the New Testament where there is something negative said about the commandment. However, you can... And I want to point something out. As, as we read these scriptures, point, notice that it keeps referring to the commandment singular. But it's referring to the ten. But it says singular. That's going to make sense in a little bit. Okay, so even though there's no New Testament scriptures that are negative towards the commandment, there are New Testament Scriptures that are negative towards the covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. In other words, there was a fault with the covenant. The problem was with the covenant. What happens when you keep the commandments? What happens when you don't keep the commandments? The fault wasn't with the commandments. Because the commandments reveal the ethics of God, the morals of God, the standards of God, and He doesn't change. So, here's our big problem. And this is why, like, you know, if if you're hearing this and you're like, I don't know about this. Here's here's our problem. And this was my struggle for a long time. We have been conditioned by legalism in some form that when we think of commandments, we think that our righteousness is at stake. When we hear someone say that there is a truth, a moral truth, and it's, and it's consistent, it never changes, we've been conditioned to believe that if we're doing the opposite of that commandment, then we're no longer righteous, we're no longer saved. Uh, you know, that's how we've been conditioned. So we just automatically equate, hey, this dude's saying there's, the, the commandments have never changed with, and he's saying if I break them, then I'm not saved. Or he's saying my righteousness fluctuates. And that is not the truth. There's a difference, remember, there's a difference in the commandment and the covenant. The New Testament, we're going to go, let's go to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. What we're going to learn here is that the New Testament makes it very clear that your righteousness, your right standing with God is an issue of faith and faith only. An issue in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus And nothing else. All right, Romans chapter three, verses twenty one, twenty two. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Now go with me to Second Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen and I'm I'm going to let you in on how this process worked for me and this was the scripture that I read one day and it just rocked my world and it set me on this this teaching that we're now we're now discussing but so the new testament is clear we're only righteous through our faith in Jesus can we see that right that's clear look look here in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 All Scripture. Does that include the Old Testament? Matter of fact, when Paul said that, he was likely only thinking of the Old Testament. But look here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Now, I stopped right there. You mean I can get doctrine out of the Old Testament? Paul did. That's where he got his doctrine. For reproof, for correction. Wait a minute you mean I can use the Old Testament to correct people, to correct myself. And listen here, here's the one that got me, though. For instruction in righteousness. This stopped me in my tracks. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know I'm righteous. It's like, it's like the Apostle Paul was saying, listen, you are the righteousness of God apart from your works apart from the law, you're the righteousness of God because of your faith in Jesus, and now here's the instruction manual on how you should handle that. Right? So, so here, here's the thing, though. This is where we miss it. There are two sides to the righteousness. There is the vertical righteousness... That is your right standing with God. That is what, in this church, we focus on more than anything. That, you, that by faith in Jesus, you are in right standing with God, and nothing you do or don't do can change that. You are in right standing with God at this moment, no matter how you're living. Right? Remember when, when John said in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, he said, listen, now we are the children of God. But it does not yet appear... Right, But it's going to when we see him as he is. John's making the point, listen, you can be something and it not look that way. See, you can be righteous and it not look that way. But there are instructions in righteousness. And it's when Paul is speaking, he was not referring to Matthew through Revelation. He was referring to Genesis through Malachi. He was saying Genesis through Malachi are your instructions for righteousness. Now, he had already been teaching. Timothy was already, uh, you know, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. So, Paul had already taught Timothy. You can be assured that Paul had already taught Timothy. Listen, the old covenant, there was a f- God found fault with it. It's done away. You're under a new covenant. Timothy knew this. All right, so so when Paul said this, Timothy, it, it was not, it, it didn't mess with him like it does us, Okay. So there, there's the vertical righteousness, but here's the one we tend to ignore. And this is the one that is the answer for our nation, for, for people's hearts and their cry for justice. There's vertical righteousness that never fluctuates, that never changes. Once you, once you um, place your faith in Jesus, you go from being unrighteous to righteous, and it's sealed, it's done, that can never change. A million years from now, you will still be as righteous as you are at this moment. Okay? But then there's horizontal righteousness. So if vertical righteousness is your right standing with God, horizontal righteousness is your right standing with people. Okay? So vertical righteousness is all about faith. Now listen to me. This is so important. Horizontal righteousness is all about love. And what you're about to find out is when he says the commandment. The reason he refers to them as the commandment, but he's referring to plural commandments, is because the New Testament teaches all these things are about one thing, love. So according to Paul, we can go to the Old Testament Scriptures and find out how to walk in righteousness toward one another. But we have to remember we have a new covenant in which all the curses for not walking in those instructions has been removed. So Galatians 3.13, we all know this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So here's the thing. You need to walk in righteousness towards one another. But even when you don't, in God's sight, you're still righteous, right? But how many know it will cause you trouble here? See, there, it's this paradox of the kingdom. I'm always talking about that. There, there's these paradoxes of the kingdom that we don't understand. One is, uh, you know, in a paradox, is a statement that seems to contradict itself. And Paul was like the master at this. Um, so like, you know, Paul would talk about we need to labor to enter into rest. That seems contradictory. Right, It it seems to contradict itself. And then here he says, hey, you're only righteous by faith, but you're also righteous when you walk in love towards one another. Okay, so which is it? Uh, Then there is, you're not under the law, but time and time again Paul warns us about lawlessness, which means to live without law. Okay, so this is... There's these paradoxes of the kingdom, and this is one of them. So you need to remember, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this as we go on through the rest of this message. Am I saying that we, that there's still a place for the commandments in our life? Yes. Am I saying that your right standing with God is based on how you keep or don't keep those commandments? No. Okay? Is that clear? So... Let's look at this. How did we get in this mess? How did we get to this place? How did, we, how did by the time Jesus came around, um, we're, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, verse 26. How did we get to this place where people equated, hey, keep the commandments with, and if you don't, God's going to burn you? Okay? How did we get to that place? Jesus tells us, Luke chapter 10, verse 26, I want to read it in the Amplified Classic. Jesus said to him, so this is where a young man comes to him, and he says, Lord, what should I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay? And here was Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? That's one part. He asked him two questions. What is written in the law? And look at that second one. How do you read it? So this is important. There's two. So also, I love this. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't give him something new. Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? See, it's easy to say, well, you know, here's what's written. But Jesus is making the point, the most important thing is how do you read it? Okay, let, let let me make this a little bit more clear. So two things about when you read the law. One, what is written in the law. That's what most people focus on, right? We most, most of us know what is written in the law. Most of us know what the Ten Commandments are. But here's where the problem is. The next part of reading the law is how do you read it or how do you interpret it? This is how Jesus came on the scene in the middle of this big mess, and and so and when Jesus was saying, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, when He'd say, "Listen, you've heard it said, but I say unto you," and people say, "See there, He was He was throwing away Moses." No, He wasn't. He was throwing away how people had read Moses. He's saying, "Listen, you you, you read you read about you shall not commit adultery, but yet you lust after pe- you lust after people in your heart." He's saying, "All right, outward observance of a law is no good without internal motivation." without internal purity. So he, he wasn't doing away with how they had, or what they had read through Moses. He was doing away with how they interpreted it. Because the way they interpreted it is, alright, I'm not committing adultery, but I can, I can look and lust all I want to. Nobody will know. Nobody will find out. And Jesus saying, no, your interpretation is wrong. You know what's written, but you don't know how to interpret it. Okay? So, the Jews, by the time Jesus came around, they had taken the commandments and made them burdensome. They had taken the commandments and made them oppressive. This is what Peter was re- referring to in Acts chapter 15 when they met. And he said, listen, um, you know, because there was this sect that, r- that rose up in the church that said, okay, yes, you, you need Jesus to be saved, but then you need to fully obey the law of Moses. And Peter came along and he said, Listen, why do you put a yoke on them that that our fathers couldn't keep and we can't keep? Okay? See, they were trying to make it a requirement for right standing with God. That's what that's what they were after. So the Jews, you know, I'll give you an example. The best example is the Sabbath. All the, the covenant, all the commandment had instructed was you shall keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Um but the Jews came around, you know, and it's like, you, should, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Well, man totally made a muck of it <laughs> and came along and they said, all right, instead of just reading it as it is and applying that to their life, they said, yeah, but what's work? How many of knows if I say don't do any work, it's kind of obvious what I'm saying. But they had took, listen to this, and I, this is how far they had took it when Jesus came around, the Pharisees, they said it was a sin and that you broke the Sabbath if you had to go number two on the Sabbath. That was work. Man, man will make a mess of things. Right? See, so the problem, the problem wasn't with what is written. See, the, 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 The commandment said, keep the Sabbath. The problem wasn't with what was written. The problem was, and they got into these big arguments, yeah, but am I keeping the Sabbath if I go to the bathroom? Am I keeping the Sabbath if, if, if," you know, and this is how perverted it had got. That when people were sick and Jesus would go heal them on the Sabbath, they would accuse him of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. This goes to show you that it was no longer about love. It was all about performance. It was all about what makes me look good. It was all about keeping these rules. And we're going to read here in a minute, that was never God's intention with the commandments. And anyone who has a problem with this message this morning, it's because when you hear ten commandments, you think ten rules. We're going to read this morning, the commandments were never given to be rules. They were never given to be your righteousness as far as with God. So they went beyond the commandment. So let me ask you this this morning. When you read the law, when you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, how do you read it? When I first came into this understanding of the New Covenant, the way I read the law was I would read the commandments and I would like, thank God, I remember when I broke that one. I just broke that one yesterday. Thank God I'm not, I'm not under the law. That's good for one or two readings, but after a while it's like, this does me no good. I might as well get rid of Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? Because all I'm doing is reminding myself of what I've done in the past and, and, and things like that. No, you can, you can get something out of the law today, okay? Go with me to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. and the, the, I want you to look at these scriptures because this is very important. Matthew 11, verse 25. Now, these are, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, are very important. And I'm actually reading through the gospel according to Matthew right now. And the other day, I love when this happens. I've, what I'm about to preach, I've preached it on Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 for a year now when I share on it. But the other day I was reading, and I was like, oh my gosh. It, to, I'm, I know I'm right because of the context. Before, people were kind of having to take my word for it. When I say this is what Jesus is referring to, you almost just had to take my word. Now, I can point out to you that through the context, you can see that it means much more than we've said it means. All right? So let's go up to verse 25. And just so you know, verse 28 is where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. It's that portion. But let's go up to verse 25 and get some context. At that time, Jesus answered and said... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Listen to this. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. Here's why I brought you here. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Right here is the most important part. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So Jesus, in context, is talking about revealing God to people. And then we just think he's, he's giving us this happy-go-lucky statement that just makes you feel good and something you can put up on you know, a sticker or a door frame or a painting or something. When he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The rest doesn't come from Jesus just saying, I'm so good, I'm so nice, that you can come to me and rest. He's saying, what I'm about to reveal to you about the Father is what will give you rest. Now, don't get me wrong. The person of Jesus, that's the one we have a relationship with. But in context, the rest that He will give you is coming from the revelation of the Father that He is about to give to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So, the way this is typically interpreted, we think about the, the, the yoke, you know, which is the two ox, and what we think about, you know, it's like people say, you know, yoke yourself to Jesus, and, you know, as he goes, you go. You just follow Jesus. He's talking about revelation. Here, here, so, here's where I say, and you two people just have to take my word, but you can see it from the context. A yoke, when Jesus said this, his hearers knew exactly what he was saying, and we lose it. When he was saying, take my yoke upon you, a yoke in those times, refer to a rabbi's interpretation of the law. So when Jesus was saying, take my yoke upon you, he was saying, listen, I know the way the Pharisees interpret this. And because of that, you're laboring and you're heavy laden and you're in desperate need of rest. But if you will take my interpretation of the law, you will find that rest. Okay, and, and and how do you know it? And learn from me. This isn't a call to just come and sit at the feet of Jesus and let him pat you on the head and tell you everything's going to be okay. He'll do that. I'm not saying he don't do that. He doesn't do that. But what I am saying is, in context, he's saying, come and sit at my feet and let me teach you. Come and sit at my feet. And let me show you what God intended through Moses. Let me show you what was, what, you know, I know it was written on stones, but I want it to be in your heart. You, you've spent time trying to obey these things to make you right in the sight of God, but I want to remove that burden and show you that God loves you, God accepts you, and these are my divine prescriptions for your life. Okay? So, Jesus was saying, you know what's written, but now let me help you interpret it. And then listen here. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden. Remember what John said? The commandments aren't burdensome. (laughs) Why? Because he learned from Jesus how to read the law. He learned from Jesus how to interpret the commandments. Now let me ask you this. So John says, his commandments are not burdensome. What was John's greatest revelation? What's John known for? Love. Right? When you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he's all about love. And when you read the Gospel, according to John, he talks constantly about how he, would, how he was always, you know, just resting his head upon the chest of Jesus. He was, he was, he was just, and, and I love how he always referred to himself as the one who Jesus loves. Alright? So, his greatest revelation was love. So when John read the commandments through the lens of love, he was, able to see, he was able to say, these things aren't severe. These things aren't burdensome. These things aren't troubling. No, these things are my delight. See, haven't you wondered, you know, we teach, hey, listen, the commandments were so bad. The law was so bad, and people were just under this tyranny of the law. Have you ever read the Psalms and wondered how David could say over and over, Lord, in your law, I delight. He didn't say, Lord, I am condemned to death. I wish you'd hurry up and send that Savior you've been telling us about, because this stinks. No, he said, one of my favorite verses is where he said, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. That's right. Now let's look at Matthew 5, verse 17. I want you to get your eyes on this. I want you to see this. Matthew 5, verse 17. Another popular scripture that we talk about a lot when we teach on grace in the New Covenant. This is Jesus speaking. And just so you know, this past Wednesday, on, on our, our Wednesday night Bible study... Mm-hmm. I taught on uh, Jesus, Paul, and you. And I I really done away with this idea that the ministry of Jesus isn't for the new covenant believer. And I I talked some about the Sermon on the Mount. And this message goes directly with that one. So if you haven't heard that, I would highly recommend you do so. Um, Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus speaking. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill Alright, now think of the way that Grant Fraley has typically taught you this scripture. The way I've typically taught this scripture is Jesus came, fully obeyed the law, kept every commandment, every precept, and because of that, he fulfilled the law. Alright? There is truth to that. Jesus never sinned. Jesus kept every commandment. He kept every every statute, and he kept it perfectly. He dotted every I, he crossed every T. That's 100% true. But, again, context. The most important thing you can do when you're reading the Bible, if you struggle with a passage or you really want to know what something means, you need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You don't have to come and ask me. You can, I'm more than, welcome, uh, I'm more than glad to help you. But you don't have to ask me, you don't have to ask Jeremiah, you don't have to ask Brian, you don't have to ask any of us, Right? That's why John would say in that same letter that he wrote, he said, You need not that any man teach you. For the same anointing that abides in you will teach you all things. Okay? So, all you have to do is let Scripture interpret Scripture. So, let's just act like you've never heard that interpretation I just gave you. That he perfectly fulfilled the law through his obedience to it. And remember, yes, that is true. But... Look with me at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. So remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Listen to this. For he who loves another has done what? Fulfilled the law. So... If we let Scripture interpret Scripture and we read where Jesus said, hey, listen, I came to fulfill the law, and then we read Paul, where Paul said, listen, the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law, then the logical conclusion is Jesus fulfilled the law by loving one another, by loving others. Okay? Let's read on here. Yeah, but that's just, you know, that's just, the, like, I'm trying not to be mean. But, you know, like, we, we've got the grace people, yeah, but that was just the law of love. That wasn't referring to the law of the Ten Commandments. They're the same thing is what I'm saying. If you need proof, look here. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, all, all, all are summed up in this, saying namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do you want to know how Jesus fulfilled the law? He loved. Did he keep it? Absolutely. But he, he, oh, he fulfilled it by loving. He fulfilled it by saying, alright, you know what's written, but you've interpreted it all wrong. Let me show you how to interpret it. And, and, and just think about it. That's why he went about. and he, the, uh, Acts chapter 10 verse 38 talks about how he went about doing good. You could you could translate that and say he went about loving people. If they were sick, he healed them. If they if they needed money, he gave it to them. If if they needed encouragement, that's what they got. What whatever they needed, he loved them. But notice Paul here, the apostle of grace says, all of the commandments. And he lists the 10. He didn't, you know, we try to break it up and say, yeah, but you know, there's the 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 Levitical laws about what you eat and what you shouldn't eat. And then there's the animal sacrifices. It's very clear what Paul is talking about here. He said, no, listen, these Ten Commandments, they're about one thing. They're about loving one another. He doesn't say that they're about getting God to like you. He doesn't say that they're about putting you in right standing with God. He doesn't say that. He says these are about loving one another. Let's get one more witness. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For all the law. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's two witnesses where Paul says, you fulfill the law when you love. Because here's what he's saying, we we, we read over this, we're saying, yeah, but if you love, it does away with the Ten Commandments. He's saying, no, when you love, you have have caught the essence of the ten, which were always about teaching you how to love one another. Okay? And and listen to this, so typically what scholars will say is, uh, Christian scholars will say, you know, six of the commandments were about I think, loving people, and four were about loving God. I could have that reversed. That could be wrong. Uh, But either way, they break it down between six and four. If you look up a good commentary by a Jew, um, a Jew will say, no, it's, it's eight and two. Eight of the commandments are about how we treat one another. Only two of the commandments are about you and God. I actually think it's eight, one, and one. I think eight of the commandments are about loving God. I think one, or excuse me, eight of the commandments are about loving uh, people. One of the commandments is about loving God. You shall, you know, and that's the one where he says, you only worship and serve the Lord your God, right? That one. No other God should you have before me. That one is about God, and that's just him saying you don't need anybody else, all right? So that's the one commandment about loving God. But I think the Sabbath isn't about loving God. I think the Sabbath is about loving yourself. Because, and where do I get that from? I, t- I take the yoke of Jesus, all right? I see what J- how Jesus interpreted it. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen, th- man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. All right? When we argue about what day is the Sabbath, we miss the whole thing. The Sabbath is telling you, hey, you need to treat yourself and take a rest. Right? Is Jesus our Sabbath? Absolutely. But in the practical, you need to rest. Physically, you need to rest. It benefits other people. It benefits your relationship with God. But more than anything, it benefits you. You need to physically rest. You need to get your mind off things. You need to take a break. Rest. That's why he could say the law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself that tells you that the commandments aren't all about just loving God and loving others. It's about loving God, loving others, and loving myself. Okay? So 8, 1, and 1. Well, what, what's the, why are you telling us that? That means 80% of the commandments are about how we love and treat one another. Not about what makes us right in the sight of God. There's only one commandment about what makes us right in the sight of God, and it's him saying, hey, I'm the only God you need. Don't worry about these, the the other names of God you'll hear. I'm the right one. It's like the shadow of what must we do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your house will be saved. Right? It's the only thing you need to do. So, that's important. Now look here at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's amazing how we tend to miss these things. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is also in the Sermon on the Mount that so many people say aren't for us. Look here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, notice it does not say whatever you want God to do to you. That's not the essence of the law. The essence of the law is not about me and God. The essence of the law is me and Brian, me and Tim, me and and Dan. That's the essence of the law, okay? The essence of the law. So whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law. He did not say this is part of the law, which is how most people tend to look at it. Well, part of the law is it teaches you how to treat one another. No, that is the law, how to treat one another. For this is the law and the prophets. So here's, here's two things you have to understand. There are two definitions in the Greek that are really interesting about the word commandment. One is prescriptions. So you could interpret, every time you read commandment, you could interpret that as prescriptions. So his prescriptions are not burdensome. Why do we need a prescription? Because we live in a sick world. They don't know how to treat one another. And it changes. The way people treated just, just five years ago, how people may have treated you in a situation, is, is, it's quickly changing. Right? Our nation's morals, our ethics, and our standards, they're quickly changing. That's why we need divine prescriptions, because God's prescription doesn't change. It's always, hey, listen, if you're married, don't commit adultery. It doesn't change. If you need something... Don't steal. If you need a God, I'm it. Right? It doesn't change. These are my prescriptions. They are the solution. So so here's what I'm saying. The answers that our nation is hungry for, they don't know it. But it's God's justice. It's God's morals. It's God's ethics. And it's God's standards. But the reason the church isn't presenting that to people is because we think that that's just trying to teach people how to get to heaven or hell. No. God was trying to teach Israel, listen, this is how you all need to treat one another. And when you treat one another right, the other nations are going to see that and they're going to say, I want that God. Because those people, they treat one another. Does that sound familiar? Because Jesus said that this is how people will know you are my disciples when you love one another. That, was, that is no different from originally in the wilderness. God originally said to them, listen, if you'll treat one another right, this is how people will know you serve the one true God. It's no different. See, and let me make this point. We t- and again, I know the covenant was about your obedience and disobedience. But have you ever thought about this? God had delivered Israel out of Egypt. And then he gave them the commandment. He did not give them the commandments and say, if you will keep these ten things, I will get you out of Egypt. The New Covenant believers' uh, journey is all in type in the children of Israel's journey out of Egypt into the Promised Land. And so the commandments were given after their deliverance. And then even after God gave them the commandments, He didn't say, listen, if you mess all these things up, I'm throwing you right back into slavery in Egypt, right? I'm, I'm going to undo what I did. Now, he told them there would be consequences, and again, that's part of the covenant that's been done away, right? But my only point is the, commandment was, the commandments were given after their deliverance. It's, it's, it's a perfect type. It's like God gave them the instructions for righteousness, right? Okay, the next one... The next definition that's really interesting is signpost, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy six, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. Next, you want to turn there. So, the next definition I want to point out for for commandment is signpost. So, a signpost for what? What does a signpost do? A signpost says if you're looking for something, it's this way, right? If if, if you're going that, if you're looking for Georgetown, but you're going towards Hazard, you know you could be going the wrong direction. A signpost shows you which direction to go. So as believers, our general goal is to love. So God's law can be a signpost that tells you whether or not you are going in the direction of love. Alright? So, uh, am I walking in love? Are you coveting your neighbor's stuff? That's not love. That's not to condemn you, right? And remember, I said, we've been conditioned to, man, I'm not doing that. And then beating yourself up. No, you're making it all about you. No, you just, this is what repentance is. Repentance is not a new covenant dirty word, all right? Repentance is, you know what, Lord? I'm sorry about that. I I surrender my opinion. This is wrong. You say this is what to do. And if I'll do that, I'm walking in love. I'm choosing the path of love. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's stuff. I'm not going to bear false witness. I'm not going to do these things. And and, and remember, the Holy Spirit, He'll elaborate on these things for you. Okay? Like, like Jesus, you know, the, everybody, they all knew you should not commit adultery. Jesus came along and said, Yeah, but listen, if you lust in your heart, it's the same thing as adultery. Right? The Spirit will take you deeper into these things. But I'm just saying the core, it never changes. The essence, it never changes. So look here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24 and 25. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to the fear of the Lord our God for our for, listen to this for our good always. Every commandment God gave Israel was for their benefit. It was not just because he needed to prove he was large and in charge. It was to show, hey, this is this is for your good. This is going to benefit you. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Listen to this. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Now, I've preached here, and the way I used to interpret this was, hey, this is the part that Jesus fulfilled. Right? The part where it says it's for our righteousness. Now, the way I see this, and I think this is more accurate in terms of what we're talking about, there's vertical righteousness and there's horizontal righteousness. And when you understand that God gave them the law in order to teach them how to treat one another, you understand what he's saying is this is what makes you in right standing with one another. This is your, this is your horizontal righteousness, okay? And we're, we're, we're getting close to being done. Uh Let's go to Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. I want to give you an example of the law being a signpost, and this is very um, this is something we can relate to in our country. This is part of an example of us needing to look to the law as a signpost, look to the commandment as a signpost, not as our right standing with God, but as a signpost. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council. So Paul had been arrested here said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. That sounds a lot like how we talk to our leaders, doesn't it? (laughs) For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Look here, Paul. The apostle of grace, the one who said you're not under the law, the one who said you're only righteous by your faith in Jesus said, then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So here's Paul, the, 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 the apostle of grace, and he's still using the commandments as a, as a guide, as a signpost to teach him how he should live in righteousness. So just imagine, do you know how few how, how how little of arguments there would be on Facebook if we would obey this signpost? If we would just quit speaking evil of the ruler of our people? I'm not saying never speak truth. That's not what I'm saying. But but what Paul had said was pretty harsh, right? God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. It wasn't like I just disagree with him. I disagree with his policies. It was God's gonna get you. All right. So many Americans, we talk that way about our leaders because, they don't, because they're, they're, we don't think they're doing how, how we think they should do. But listen, if we would just follow this signpost, so much drama would just disappear. This is important. This is God's system of justice. All right? So, and so here's something that's probably going through a lot of people's mind um, as they read this. Yeah, but didn't Jesus say that he gave us a new commandment? John 13, 34, I'll read it, you don't have to turn there. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The commandment is ultimately the same, love. What changed, or what Jesus changed, was the example. Jesus said, all right, now the law says you should love one another as you love yourself. The problem is too many people don't love themselves. So Jesus said, I've given you a new commandment. Don't love people like you love yourself as much as you love them as I have loved them or as I have loved you, right? So what, how would I respond to you? You respond to them. That's right. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. He's, he's saying, listen, I changed it a little bit. Do unto others as Jesus would do unto you. That's the new commandment. The, the essence of the commandment didn't change love. What changed was the example of who we follow to see that commandment through. All right, guys, we're going to finish right here. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. I want you to see this, and then we're finished. Well, I do have one more verse after that, but let's read this. This is where we're going to, this is where we're pretty much going to finish. Matthew 23, verse 23. This was another thing that was a revelation for me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So listen what Jesus gets on to the Pharisees for. He said, you guys are obsessed with this whole notion of the tithe. Now when I say this, you immediately think of people that preach, you need to tithe, you need to tithe, you need to tithe. If as a new covenant grace believer... And preacher, if you're only preaching on people, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. Jesus would have corrected you. Because he's saying, you're still focusing on the tithe, and that's not even important in all this. So when you're getting up and teaching people, well, listen, you know, you don't have to tithe. I just want you to know, you don't have to tithe. Tithing was Old Covenant, even though Abraham did it before the Old Covenant. Just completely throw that away. You don't have to tithe. You're missing it. Jesus is saying you're missing it, okay? You, you are completely missing it. The issue of the tithe can really be, <laughs> you know, and I never talk about the tithe, but listen, the issue of the tithe can be, can be uh, handled easily in 2 Timothy 3.16 that we, always, we already read. All Scripture is given for instruction and in righteousness. You want a, some good financial advice? Go to, go to the Scriptures and see what they prescribe. Okay? It's not about God's going to get you. It's not about these things. You're missing it. If you're arguing over these things, you are missing it. You're no different than the Pharisees who are commanding people that they have to. All right. So Jesus says three things are the essence of the law. When When you read the law properly, these are the three things you should come away with. The first is justice. Please listen to this. This is so important. The law, if you study other moral codes of that time, the law was a moral revolution. It was so different compared to the other things that were out there. The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, God's prescriptions, were the first moral code that gave human rights to be treated with love, dignity, and worth to slaves, um, to, this is an important one, victims. Because you know the world's view of justice at this moment has no regard for a victim. Or it assumes who's the victim before it hears both sides of the story. See, in the law it's written, don't judge a matter until you've heard both sides of the story. But we see something that somebody took on their iPhone and we say, here's the whole story. If we'd just follow the signpost. If we would just follow the signpost. Okay? So, so and, and it also gave rights to women. The law protected women. And that was so different from the other moral codes of the time where women were not treated like people. They were not treated like men. And God's system was the first one to highlight what He had said in Genesis 1, and verse through 28, well, listen, they're co-heirs together, right? They're, they're to work side by side, male and female, He created them. They're both made in the image of God. And they both should be treated like, like one made in the image of God. Okay? So, th- this, was, this was big. Mercy. <laughs> Most of us do not think of mo- mercy when we think of the law of Moses, we think of the punishment. We think of, you know, hey, if you commit adultery, then that person should be stoned. We focus on the stoned. <laughs> right? We're like, well, you know, they're supposed to be stoned. And people will get you this all the time. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, you're saying that the law should be a signpost. What about the whole part about you should stone someone when they sin? The curse of the law. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Okay? That part, that part is the part that Jesus nailed to the cross. You know in Colossians 2 where it says he took out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. He, we had just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where he said, listen, these things were for you. The part that was against us was the punishment. The part that was against us was the curse. That's what was nailed to the cross. So over and over. And listen to this. Go back to the law. Have you ever thought about this? Even though God says, okay, this person breaks this, kill them. Have you ever noticed over and over and again in the law, people break it and God doesn't prescribe death. You'll find that more than you will find people receiving death for their sin. Think about David. This is the best example. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he, he had her husband murdered. Both of those things, according to the Mosaic law, were supposed to... to he, should he should have been killed. He should have received the death penalty. But what happens... He repented. He changed his mind. And God showed him mercy. Why? Mercy in God's eyes has always been a higher law than judgment. If someone appeals to mercy in the sight of judgment, God will give them mercy. Right? That's why James said mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay? And then here's a big one. Faith. Now, if, if, if you don't, this should immediately come to your mind. This is what made me stop on this a few years ago when I read this. Faith. Jesus said a weightier matter of the law is faith. Paul said in Galatians 3 that the law is not of faith. Jesus said a weightier matter of the law is faith. Paul said the law is not of faith. Which one's right? This is, see, stuff like this has caused people to say, Jesus wasn't for you. Alright, Paul's for you. No, we're, we're missing something. We know what's written, but how do you read it? Okay? Paul was talking about that covenant is not about your faith. That covenant is about your obedience. Rightly divide. But Jesus here is saying, listen, that, that, that same law that will condemn you will also... Give you faith if you allow it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What word? Right? It's all, what it, this whole book is his word. Do we have to rightly divide it? Are there times people said something that God didn't say, that they voiced things that wasn't God's opinion? Absolutely. But it's God's book, and he had that recorded because there's times you think that way. There's times you say those things. And he needs you to see what his response to those statements are. Okay? That's why it's still his word. Okay? So, so, how do we? So, what about the law is of faith? One, the animal sacrifices were of faith. We just tend to think that people just brought the animal, slaughtered it without any thought of what they were doing. That was the case by the time Jesus had came around because that's why, remember when Jesus went because they were selling the animals for sacrifice in the temples and he drove them all out? It's because they had removed faith out of the equation. Because what would happen is when someone sinned, they brought an animal that was special to them, that was important to them, that they were going to make money off of. Their kids had played with these animals, right? So when they brought the animal, and then what would happen is they would place their hand upon the head of the animal and they would believe in this spiritual supernatural transfer where their sin went onto the animal and the animal's sin went on or the animal's innocence went onto the sinner that takes faith to believe that this old goat is taking my sin and giving me his innocence that's faith and then that person see we we read over it the priest wasn't the one who would kill the animal Sinner killed the animal. It, it There was no way you, you, you committed these animal sacrifices of the Levitical law and didn't engage your heart in faith. Because the very fact that you were killing this animal that means so much to you and your family, that can provide so much for you and your family, and you're the one killing it, to a God that you've never seen, for 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 just... For, for a commandment that somebody just told you is right, that's faith. And to believe that this animal, this, this, this dumb lamb, you know, pardon, pardon me if you, you like sheep, that's all good. I mean, I like animals too. I'm just saying, they're dumb. To believe that, to believe that I'm getting all of his innocence, and I don't need his stupidity, because I've already proven I'm stupid, that's faith. The feast, all of these were about faith. Because every time they sat down and kept the Passover, it reminded them of what faith could do. Faith could deliver them from slavery. Faith could deliver them from the house of bondage. It reminded them of a God who literally parted a sea so they could walk through it. Even though they didn't see it, it engaged their heart and ignited faith. Shadows, types, forgiveness. Listen, they had, like I said, so they get the animal's innocence. The animal gets their sin, dies for their sin. So now they could walk and live as people who are innocent, as people who are forgiven. That takes faith. And you notice it's the same for us. It takes faith to believe in an event that we didn't see. It takes faith that, to believe that a man died on a cross, was buried, went to hell, three days later was resurrected, and ascended to heaven before people's eyes. That takes faith. And that's a weightier matter of the law. Okay? We're going to finish here, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. We're closing. We're done. I just want to read this to kind of summarize. Has this blessed you guys today? Yep. Amen. Okay, awesome. And this is His commandment. So we're right back to the Apostle John speaking. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. The law, the commandments can be summed in one thing. They point you to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about that a lot, right? We go to the law and we say, listen, I can never keep it perfectly. I need a Savior. I know I do these things that are wrong. I know I need a Savior, and that's why I've got Jesus. So, two purposes of the law is what John is telling us here. One, it points you to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got that. We preach that. We're anchored in that here. But then he says there's another part of the commandment, and that's the part that teaches you how to love one another. Guys, and and part of the reason this is important to me, one, the New Testament warns over and over again against those people who are no longer under the law but adopt a system of lawlessness where they're not living under any law. Law is not, you know, it's not necessarily, remember, we got to... We've got to separate the commandment from the covenant. You're not under that covenant. But that law can be a prescription. It can be a signpost that can teach us how to love one another. In a world that is messed up, in a world that is crying for justice, we have the answer to justice. In a, law, in, in a world that is, that is crying, that they don't know what uh, absolute morality is, we have an instruction booklet that teaches us what makes something an absolute moral truth. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't change. The covenant has changed. The commandment has not. Do you get that? This is so important. And also, what I think this does is this anchors your heart even more in faith towards God. Because as long as you believe, hey, listen, God gave these people these these 613 commandments, knowing they could never keep them so he could get them, it's a little bit messed up. Right? It's, It's a little messed up. But when you read it, understanding God was just trying to teach them how to love one another. He just wanted them walking in love. He just wanted them showing the world how we love one another, and it's a testimony to them that God loves them. Amen? We have the answers. We can trust in a good God. Every word He has ever spoken has always been for the good of the hearer. So it wasn't, did it condemn? Yes. Was that its purpose? No. So don't throw out the law. Don't throw out what is written because of how people have read it. Okay, all right, guys. I hope that's blessed you. Um, All right, we'll take up our offering now. And um, guys, we just appreciate you as you as you give. And if you need a giving envelope, you can raise your hand. I won't. won't, I'm not going to do a teaching. We've I've already preached well over an hour. So uh, those of you online, you're more than welcome to go to the website and give. Just know that we appreciate you. Um, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to give. We bless each and every seed that is sown this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.